Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Petham here as always. And of course, we're here to talk all things Aston Villa Football Club with a 2-1 victory on Sunday. We're a few days late. We'll, we'll address that in a second. But on Sunday against Brighton and Hove Albion, Villa are now in Europe. I've never experienced this in my life as being a Villa fan. Um, neither basically has Seb to basically some extent that he can probably remember, which makes me and, Fo- me and Simon feel very, very old. But uh, regardless of that, we're all chipper. We're all happy. It's uh, just an amazing time to be a Villa fan at uh, this point in history so we'll have to kind of just take it all in as it comes and go from there but regardless of course I am joined by Mr. Seb Bacon and Simon O'Regan as well so Simon I'll come to you first how's it going? Very well thank you Um, still feeling a little delicate from the weekend I I was at a wedding on Saturday and then at the villa Sunday and so uh, yeah two days of drinking I've you know I'm a man of uh, a few advanced years now, Carl. I, I don't have the powers of recovery that I once used to have. So I'm, uh, it's worth it though, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah, you'll be recovered by next Saturday, I'm sure. Hopefully. Um, I, I know in advanced years, it's definitely something that takes a good while. But of course, uh, from one experience head to a very young head that, um, pressured Simon into drinking post match. That being Seb. Seb, how's it going for you? I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, you know you're in a good mood when you call me Seb, because I don't think I've ever heard you call me Seb before. And just so that the listeners are aware, this podcast was actually meant to be recorded yesterday, but me and Simon both ended up pulling out of that one due to um certain events happening the day before. So... Take of that what you will. All I can say is if you follow us on the 7500 to whole Twitter, or if you follow Seb or Simon personally or myself, I think we've all been tagged in it or have shared it or whatever. I have to know, Seb, what does the top of Simon's head smell like? <laughs> what a question. I wasn't sober enough to remember, unfortunately. <laughs> all I know is that one of the best kisses I've had. <laughs> to to the top of his head. Let's yes. let's, let's, yes. let's yes. Okay, there you go. Just to just to save you. I have to keep that in. Oh my god. <laughs> Basically, you can use this as like an advertising tool because you can use it to market the Twitter so that people can go and get the context. Fair enough, but you basically just made it sound like you lipsed Simon. But anyways. <laughs> regardless of that what a way to kick off the whole cast i don't know if i've ever had an opening few minutes quite like this but regardless we'll we'll try to push through like i said before of course it was aston villa 2 brighton and hove albion 1 dougie louise and ollie watkins getting on the scoreboard for the villa jacob ramsey just keeps on keeping on getting better by better every single game two assists to put Villa into the Europa Conference League playoff places. We all have to uh, be remindful of that and maybe not get too carried away because we know how things can be when we are Villa fans. But we'll address the playoff situations and how that'll work in, in another 
podcast going forward, of course. And um, of course, for Brighton, it was Undav. I think that's how you pronounce it. That scored. And Pascal Gross, of course, got the assist on that one. But regardless of it, like I said, Villa are in Europe. It's brilliant. They finished the season in seventh place on 61 points. And Seb, I'll just say this to you now. Please look up the last time Villa finished with 61 points or more um, because it's been a freaking long time and I have never seen it. It's amazing to see when you look at the table. I'm just looking at it now, of course. Spurs finished one point below us. Crazy enough, Brentford actually beat City. So if we would have lost and Spurs didn't uh, get something against Leeds, then Brentford would have came all the way from ninth to seventh. Brighton, of course, didn't really have too much to play for. They already were locked in in sixth place. Um, and yeah, it's just mental to see when you look at the likes of, of course, Villa, uh, Brighton, Newcastle, all within the top seven, some old new blood, I guess you can say, and in terms of Brighton, some new new blood, because it's the first time in their history that they've ever qualified for a European competition. So happy days, happier moments. And uh yeah, it's just, it's mental. I don't think it's still sinking in. Of course, everyone's going to hear this on the Wednesday. And like I said, I do apologize that this is late, but nonetheless, we're here. We took a few more days for the other guys to recover and to make sense of things. So Let's just dive into it. Seb, I'll come to you first. I mean, in terms of how performances and what kind of reaction you want your side to come out from minute one, I mean, it was one hell of a performance. And the pressing from minute one, it was just, it was almost like a perfect storm on Sunday, wasn't it? First of all, the answer to your question is 2009-10, our final season under Martin O'Neill, we got 64 points. Um, But to go back to your most recent question, yeah, it sort of felt like a fairy tale living it in the moment. Just everything seemed to to fall into place so well. A lot had been made of our fast starts at Villa Park under Unai Emery, and that came to fruition again. We we really started strong, and I, I think we hit Brighton quite hard, um, especially getting the first goal within 10 minutes, and that allowed us to, to dictate the tempo then. You know, the first half was was good we obviously had the Brighton disallowed goal which allowed us to sort of breathe a sigh of relief when that happened and then we went 2-0 up and it was just about right game management now that clearly it had been worked on what happens when you get a when you get a lead even then doubling that lead to make it 2-0 and we managed to stick to that until they they got one back I don't actually think that the foul that they scored from was a foul. I, I think if I remember correctly, it was Tyrone Mings that gave the foul away. And I, I, I still to this day think he got the ball. So look, we'll come, I'm sure we'll come on to the ref slightly later. I'm sure Simon has a lot to say about that. Um, but yeah, living it in the moment was, was sort of a surreal. It felt like an out of body experience. A hundred percent. And I mean, Simon, even going into that game, I guess if if there's a way to even describe it in enough words, because I feel like going into Villa Park, not being there myself, but I can only imagine on a on a day like Sunday with so much at stake, all the atmosphere outside, everyone's seen the videos of the coach uh, rocking up to the players' entrance. And I mean, it just, for one, it gives you that sense of what a European Knights could really be like back at Villa Park. But try to describe for us just the atmosphere kind of going into that one and throughout the game if possible. Uh, I mean, it's it's really hard to describe it. Maybe you weren't there. It's, um, it was an incredible atmosphere. Like there was, I think, because we've obviously been playing so well in recent months. I, I, 
I personally, like myself, I went into the game like fairly confident that we'd do the job. And I got the sense that most people were as well, not not like a complacent feeling of, you know, we'll turn up and turn these over because Brighton are a really good team. They they showed on Sunday that they're a really good team. But I just, I always, there's there's a feeling with this Villa team now that that you just, you feel they're going to get the job done. I, you know, it's... um. It's it's been a long time since we've had that like going to Villa Park with like a genuine sense that you that you're going to win that game. Um, yeah, the the atmosphere was unbelievable. I mean, you sort of mentioned what it could be like, you know, as a reminder of like European nights at Villa Park, where the atmosphere could be there. The first year that I had the season ticket, so going back back to nineteen ninety seven ninety eight. That season, we got to the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup. Um, we went out to Atletico Madrid on the way goals rule in the end. The second leg was at Villa Park. But I, I still remember like the atmosphere in the ground that that stand. You know, anyone listening to this who was there will know exactly what I mean. The, the noise when Stan Collymore's goal hit the roof of the net. I hadn't heard an atmosphere like that up until this season. We've started with the Newcastle game. Really, I think that's. That Newcastle game, they, they seem like something switched in in the mindset of the fans, um, and and that's that that's not even like because we won the game because before that you know, at the start of the Newcastle game everyone was right up for it and the atmosphere was incredible and ever since then um, it's, it's been like that you know the Tottenham game the other week it was an amazing atmosphere and, and then you know like we've sort of already gone over on Sunday it was just unbelievable and you kind of yeah, you, you think if that's what it's like on you know, a Sunday afternoon, just think what it'll be like a full Villa Park on European night. So it's it's amazing. And, you know, Project B6, a lot of credit. I think need to go to them for sort of getting this, sort of starting off, you know, getting the ball rolling, with getting the atmosphere improved with the park. And I think, I think as well, now everyone... Like is and I mean absolutely everyone is just totally bought into what Uno Emery is doing, and I think everyone knows what the plan is. Everyone can see what's happening. The quality of football we're playing it just all adds to it. And it's this is the first time in a long time that I'm kind of like gutted that the season's ending. Normally it comes to the end of the season, and I'm like, oh, thank God for that. Like a, a couple of months off, but I just yeah, I, I can't wait to get back to the park. It's ridiculous. I, I wish we could somehow. Um, have the Premier League just let us play the first uh, number of games that Gerard was in charge and just let them do as a do-over. We'd probably finish in the Champions League, to be honest, because Jesus Christ. All I can say is, Stevie G, thank you for being utterly shit, because this is where we are now because of it. Um, it's it, it's crazy almost as a Villa fan to go off on a tangent here when you look at it. I mean, not getting promoted um, under Steve Bruce, almost feeling like the club's going to go into administration because shit ownership ship sketchy ownership to say the least not working out then we get promoted out of nothing it's i i don't know how to describe villa of the last six or so years the fact that we go from literally one extreme of not getting there to the next of being promoted to almost being relegated to finishing 10th to having an underwhelming season to being in seventh i mean seb you'd have to say it's just the the widest range of emotions you can really have as a football fan isn't it yeah, yeah. Talk about roller coaster. I mean, it's just a complete contrast, the first half to the second half. And 
I think it speaks a lot that the biggest cheer of the afternoon on Sunday was when Unai Emery made his way round the halt end. I've never, ever seen so many people stay for a lap of honour in my life, but it just sort of, you could sense the unity amongst the fans, amongst the players. I think the players recognise the job that they'd done and the fans just wanted to show their appreciation for that. I think everyone recognises that it had been a long, difficult season mentally, physically. The, we could see the players had given their all and this was our chance to almost show our appreciation for that. It, it was a really nice feeling. Oh, 100%. And Simon, I mean, let's talk about kind of like the mentality, especially like, a, like we're not professional footballers by any means. I mean, Sev is going to be playing in a charity football match very soon where he might think he is or pretend in his head when he's um, hopefully uh, skinning a few players and putting it into the, the goals at uh, at the Molyneux at both ends. Hopefully, Seb, hopefully you score in both halves. If there's halves on that, I, I honestly don't know and feel like I should actually know more information on that. But regardless of it, Simon, I mean, how many times have we seen Villa crumble under pressure throughout the years? And especially when you think of going into this game and albeit it's in our hands and you know what the turnaround under Unai Emery has been amazing. So almost in a way, maybe it puts off the pressure a bit, but I mean, how did you kind of feel with your own mentality going into this game? And then how do you think you kind of would evaluate the players with that? Because I mean, watching the game back myself, I never really felt like we were going to crumble at any point or we couldn't really handle the day. It was I don't know. It's almost something we've talked about this before under times under Dean Smith and um, even under Gerard, maybe once or twice um, as of the last few years, but this one just kind of felt differently. Did it? Yeah. Um, I mean, sort of like, like I said earlier, I, I went into the game confident because this is a different villa. Um, you, you, I, I think one of the big things in terms of mentality, which really showed a difference I think we mentioned it when we did the uh, pod for the game afterwards. Was that Tottenham game? Um, you know, when when they got their penalty back, and there was like five or six minutes of injury time, I think, added on in that game, and it would have been so easy and to an extent understandable if the players had just, you know, if we dropped back to like a back six, you know, like a, a six four formation, and just sat deep on the edge of the box and just tried to see the game out like that. But we didn't in that game. We we kept playing the same way. We kept playing it out from the back. There was no panic and hoofing it long. And they kept the high line. And I think they, they caught Sun offside again, like for the ninth time in that game, uh, with, with their high line. And and I think the, the mentality to have done that then shows the the level of the confidence that the players are working at because it's... I don't think it's something that really, that should be underestimated the the job that Emery has done in terms of that mentality because I, I, I you know they they've always been a good group of talented footballers but you look at how you know how we uh, hopefully this will be the last time we 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 uh, decide to mention Stephen Gerrard in the podcast but you go back to how we were under him at the start of the season and it was it was just such you know, like the, the players I didn't really know what they were meant to be doing. But you could also, you thought that they were weak and that, that there was no, what's the word? There's no like sort of independent thought from them on, on the pitch or anything like that. It was it was almost like because they hadn't been told what 
what they were meant to be doing. There was no coaching. It was almost you, like you, you can look at them and, and think, you know, there, there's players here who just don't have the mentality for this. But you look at the the run of form that we've had to put together to get to where we are is unbelievable. And you can't just do that with being a talented group of players. You look at that Leicester squad, there's, that is a talented group of players, but they've got relegated. And I think a big part of that is a weak mentality. And that's from that's not just in terms of the players. That comes from the owners, the manager, the coaching staff. That's at, at this elite level. In the Premier League, you've got to be a very good, very, very good footballer to be playing Premier League in terms of like technical ability and you know stuff like that. But the difference between being a, a what we would call like a poor and average Premier League player and an elite one is is the mentality. And you look at like John McGinn, the performances under him uh, since everybody's come in. You look at how Douglas Luiz has improved this season. You know he's always had that that technical ability, but this is the mental side of the game and the understanding that that he's improved on. Tyro Mings as well has been absolutely phenomenal in this second half of the season. I actually thought he was one of the few players that was actually playing well under Gerrard as well. Um, and I don't think he gets anywhere near the credit that he deserves. I, I think Villa fans now, I think uh, hopefully uh, most of them have all turned around to our way of thinking how we've always thought about Mings. But I don't think in terms of the wider football fan base, I think people still will see one mistake he'll make all season and then that's apparently what he does every game. I think he's over the, he's probably second to John Stones in terms of the best English centre-backs playing in the, in the Premier League. I, I, I think Tyron Mings is absolutely superb and it's, it, it, all, it all comes down to, to the manager that we've got because, he, because he's got such an elite winner's mentality it's rubbed off on the players and I, I'm i really looking forward to seeing not just what will happen in terms of people that he'll get in because obviously he's going to want to get in quality players but I still think there's levels of improvements with, with some of the people we've already got especially you look at the likes of Louise Kamara and Ramsey who are all still pretty young players they can all get better and yeah it's uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's just really really positive vibes at the moment Do you think Mings is better than Dunk? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I personally do. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think Lewis Donkey is is a decent player, but I I think he the way that I think other fans talk about Mings in terms of oh he's got a mistake in him. I think that's more appropriate. To, I think Lewis Donk makes more mistakes over a course of the season than Tyra Mings does, but for some reason Mings seems to get picked out, and maybe that's because I think he's an outspoken character as well, which I don't think some people like, but I, I really do. Do you think um, Mings is better than Connor Cody? Because some Wolves fans probably still think he is. Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping that joke would land, and it kind of did, but kind of didn't. So when everyone is looking at me like, "Are you stupid?" Um, I- yeah. I'll just I'll take that as a fail. Look, I mean, I, people will probably think that that is a ridiculous shout. But like genuinely, if you look no, at no, the, no, no, I, I completely yeah. agree. I completely agree. The only reason I asked Dunk is because I've I've always always rated Dunk, and I've yeah, I've almost seen them in in the same light where they both get overlooked, especially for the national team, so yeah. much that they almost both should be should be recognised higher than they are. But no, I, I completely agree with this statement. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with, with that. I mean, as I say, I think Lewis Dunk is a really good player, and like. I, in terms of like England stuff, like John, John Stones is 
is like but I think far and away <laughs> the, the best thing he's spent. Like he's he's superb. But after that, like over the years, how how Dyer and Maguire have got the game time they've had of Minks and Duncan is ridiculous. But you know that's that's a separate conversation for another podcast. I think absolutely. And Seb, I'll, I'll throw this back to you. I mean, I think we've talked about this certain individual a, a lot lately. I know Simon has, and he's defended them um, as much as possible because it's um, ridiculous that he's really gotten any scrutiny. Um, but Jacob Ramsey, I mean, how clutch he has been in not only this season, this run-in, but when it matters the most. I mean, what did you make of his performance on Sunday? And I mean, just in general lately, it's, I mean, he's going from one strength to another, playing a little bit out of position. And it seems like he's just adapted to playing it wide even more so than I thought he ever would. I mean, just what are your thoughts on him? The sky's the limit for that boy. And to think that we've got, hopefully another one coming through the ranks quite soon just another two another yes another two one one quite shortly and then one one in the future is just just beggar's belief really he he is the driving force behind this team and he is one of the players that I would build this team around now I I I really do look at him in the same ilk as when Grealish was breaking through I think he can be just as influential if not more his I, I i i yeah i do you're you're giving me weird faces there but i i think his all-round game is nearly on par with grealish when grealish was his age i mean he jacob ramsey's doing it in the premier league week in week out and he is going from strength to strength under emery at the moment he's adding goals and assists. i remember one of the criticisms was grealish was yeah, he's he he's really important to the team, but he he doesn't get enough goals and assists. Ramsey's doing that already, and he's still got miles of of improving to do. So I I can't wait to to watch his his growth. Hopefully, in a Villa shirt, I feel like we've been in this position too many times before, and I've been broken too many times before. But you can't help but get your hopes up when you watch that kid. I I how he's not in the England team is beyond me but I don't mind that the the longer he goes under the radar then the longer we can keep him to ourselves and he can keep pushing Villa further and further yeah it's one of those things like you are right I mean in terms of where he is at at this age compared to Grealish yes he is better I think I maybe misconstrued that and was thinking you're saying he's better right now I mean um he has a way to go but I mean it's it's mental when you think about it because like I felt like when I start, first kind of fell into the Villa fandom, we were kind of going crazy over like Samir Carruthers and X number of other players that we thought would be amazing, and ninety nine point nine percent of them just didn't cut it. Half of them didn't really end up going too far at all in terms of being professional footballers, um, which is unfortunate. But aside from that. I mean, of course, we all know the story with Grealish, and now you have Ramsey, and then you have Aaron Ramsey, and you still have Big Tim. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Cam Archer as well. Um, it's There's so much optimism with the youthful kind of point of view from within Villa, but then you also look at the experienced heads who's been here for a few years. I mean, Simon, you look at Tyro Mings, you look at John McGinn, um, these are players we had in the championship and now they're going to be playing in European football. I mean, speak about that for a minute because it's, it's mental. I, I think there's been points that everyone's kind of thought, you know what, will these players be good enough to make that step? But 
I mean, they've grown with the club. They've taken the criticism. And you know what? Under the correct leadership and coaching, it's only made them better. Yeah, I think I, I think it, that it's really testament to not only their abilities like as a footballer, but as we sort of touched on earlier, their the sort of mental ability and mental strength of the two of them. Because, I mean, to, to sort of rise from the level of the championship and get to a level now where you're going to be playing in, in Europe, it, it's, it, it's not an easy task. And they both had quite a bit of criticism, quite a lot of it undeserved and, and over the top, I think, at times as well. And it takes it takes, takes a lot to sort of get, get through that, I think. Um, but then ha- having said that, in, in terms of like, yeah, obviously they've they sort of come from the championship and now they've been playing European football. But you've got to remember as well, these are two players that have played at an international tournament before as well. You know they were both in the in the Euro squads for for uh, for England and Scotland, so it's kind of not. I don't think it should be that surprising because they've both shown that they're capable of playing at that level. You know they they begin has played a hell of a lot of times for Scotland and Mings. I think it's got about what eighteen, nineteen, twenty odd England caps. So they they've both shown that they're capable of playing at that level. But it's it, it is it's testament to two of them that they've sort of been with us all that way through and, and, and come through the that champ, that last championship season with us and have been mainstays in the team. And, you know, that, that just shows that that's what now three different managers that they've had and all of them have, have picked them for the majority of games. And obviously, you know, Mings was ridiculously dropped for the opening day of the season against Bournemouth, which... Seems like a million years ago now. It almost doesn't feel like it's the same season that we had that game. Um, so yeah, they did. Um, so, yeah, my voice went there. So they've, uh, yeah, they've, they've they've done really well. And um, as I say, it's, it's a testament to 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 their sort of mental strength as well as their abilities as footballers. Um, and just sort of touching back on when you were talking about like the academy as well, I think. We had such a long period as well where the club just had no interest in the academy. So people like uh, Samir Carruthers or Callum O'Hare, not saying that they can necessarily have gone on and had like successful Premier League careers, but if you're you're in the, the age of sort of like 17, 18, 19, if you're not in, involved in like the first team at your Premier League club, you have to be sent out on loan. And none of these players were. Like we there's a lot of there's a lot of players in that who I feel the club let down, if I'm being brutally honest. I, I think they, they they their potential was wasted. You know, you, you'll never know what, what some of them could have done. But it was we up until the new owners came in, there was a period of at least Ten, if not fifteen years, where there was just no care given to that academy, and so it's good to see that that now has been that does seem to be the case now. You know, we we're putting the people out on loan at the right age for them to put out on loan. So then, come the end of a loan spell at the end of each season, you've got two options: they're either going to be good enough that they can you can keep them around and involve them in their squads. Or you'll say, okay, they're not quite ready for us, but we know we're going to get some money off them because they're, they're, we can see what they can do at this certain level. So that's, I think, been a massive change in, in what we've done as a club as well, which I think is something that the owners should get huge praise for. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The one thing I will say, and this has nothing to do with this, but I'm almost glad Coventry didn't get promoted because if Callum O'Hara was starting in the Premier League, you know you'd have like 2% of the fan base being like, why didn't we let him go? All that kind of stuff. Oh, look, he's a Premier League player. So um, it works in mysterious ways. Um, but I guess also in the same kind of um, mindset, uh, congratulations to big Marv Nakamba, of course, for getting Luton promoted to the Premier League. So I guess it comes in both ways. We'll have to discuss maybe his future in a, a future podcast. But uh, to see big Marv tuck away a penalty so convincingly, it made me think of prime um, I guess, um, on Raul Ghazi against Wolves or X number, Y, Z, whatever, um, from the penalty spot, just cool as he liked. Didn't know he had it in him, but it, it's good to see. Maybe they'll add another three mil to the, uh, to the transfer price going forward. But Seb, I'll, I'll come to you for a minute because, um, this is one man that, um, hopefully, this is the time that we finally never speak about Steven Jarrett again, but um, Jared decided that uh, he wasn't basically good enough to start the first few games for Villa. And that was Dougie Louise, the player's player and basically everyone's player of the season. Um, I guess we'll have to maybe leave that as a little bit of a sneak peek for all of us in the end of season review. We'll do sh- um, within hopefully a week or so. Um, but I mean, just speak to us about him on Sunday, his season, the partnership with Kamara. I mean, like we've said before, we've been linked with Ganduzi and adding another addition that maybe would replace one of them in the starting lineup. But to me, we arguably have one of the best two defensive duo midfield duos in the whole Premier League. Yeah, you look at our bench, and Simon mentioned it, Bournemouth away. I was actually there that day. You mentioned our bench consisting of Douglas Louise, Tyrone Mings, and Ollie Watkins, arguably the core which has driven us forward. Um, but I feel like Douglas Lewis has grown throughout the season, not just as a player, but as a man as well. I feel like I've watched him make the step up and take responsibility and really see what it means to him to be successful in this team. We could have let him go quite easily in past windows with <laughs> with Arsenal swooping. And you know there's a good player in there when teams like Arsenal are interested you know, you don't be on Man City's books under Pep Guardiola if you're not a very, very good player. And finally, I think we're starting to see that player that we bought all those years ago. It, it took some time, but as a young player, you know, we forget that you mentioned Callum O'Hare. He's the same age as Douglas Louise. People forget that. So when we brought him in, he was just a young lad. And, you know, what? like I said, watching him grow over the past few years, He's another one where I don't think he's anywhere near the full package yet. And being able to offer him more game time as well as more rest, obviously, as we get more games, can only be a good thing for him and the team moving forward. And he's another one that I'm really excited to see the potential ceiling of him. Again, I feel like I'm deja vu here with Jacob Ramsey but he's added goals and assists to his game which is something that we'd been really critical of him in in recent years so if he if he can keep this form moving forward into next season I believe that him and Kamara are completely undroppable 
No, I 100% well, agree. Oh, sorry, Simon. I was, I was, I was going to say, what, what I really loved um, the reason Sunday, I don't know if you saw it, Seb, um, the, the Brighton goal that was disallowed when we were waiting for the decision. He gave the whole uh, 10 the news. Yeah. Like, and he'd obviously, he was, Dougie, you know, stood next to the ref and he'd obviously, the ref obviously said to him beforehand, yeah, it's been disallowed. And he turned to the whole end and he was giving it the fist bumps and like screaming at him, delighted at the whole end. And like, I, I love that. It's like, you can see that's what it means. That's what you want to see as a fan. That's, that's yeah. all you ask for is passion as a yeah. fan. That's all you can but hope for. But, but stuff like that is, that's, that's like a genuine reaction as well. That that that's not that that's not something for show. That's you, you can, as I say, you can you can just see what it means to these players and, and how much it is meant to them on Sunday and yes, yeah, stuff like that. And as you say with Dougie, so easily we we the club could have caved last last transfer window for he's got a year left on his deal. Uh, there's a you know a money offer coming in. They they, they could have panicked and then got rid of him, but. To not only keep hold of him, but get, somehow get him to sign a new deal whilst Gerard was still in charge was uh, unbelievable. I, I mean, part of me wonders if, if someone in the hierarchy at the club had said to him, look, don't worry, we're getting rid of him soon, but we want to keep you on board because he, yeah, he, he, he could have, and he, as well with that Arsenal potential move, you know, he could have quite easily thrown his toys out of the pram. You've seen it before. He, no, obviously Arsenal are, a better place club than us certainly at the moment so he he could have thought hang on a minute like this is a move that I would have quite fancied and he and he hadn't started the season either you know he'd been on the bench for the first couple of games so he may well have thought oh, I can't read all that so you're going to have to read that all later but he could have well have thought you know I'm not starting and now you're not letting me go what's going on but you know fair as I said the way the level his game has gone to this season you're you're looking at you're looking at an all round midfielder now, and he. Um, I, I agree with Seb. I think he'll only get better, and the relationship with Kamara is, is amazing. And just on the point of whatever you know, links with Gunduzi and, and whatever. Uh, again, I think you know we've said this before. Now, especially that we're in Europe, it's not a case of signing someone to replace someone who's in the first team. It's you need that's we're going to need the a squad the players where the bench is just as good as whoever's in that starting eleven because you know for a fact that assuming we get through the playoffs, you know that we're going to take this competition seriously. You know, we're we're going to be going in it to win it. And also the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup, we are going to be going into into those tournaments with the intention of trying to win them. So we're going to need that bigger squad. So any any players that that come in this summer, I'm not looking at, at anyone coming in going, oh, what, why have we why have we signed him? We've already got so and so in that position. What we're just going to replace him is that that's just not how football works at that top level. Like if your if your club plays in Europe, you don't have a starting eleven, and we need to get into that mindset. And I think Emery is a manager who knows that as well. So yeah, just just see what happens with that. Yeah, and just quickly on Dougie, just kind of for my own um, opinion, really, when you sit back and you look at it as well, it's kind of crazy. I feel like every kind of close to end of every season since he's been at Villa, it's almost be like it'll be like, well, will he go back? Will City kind of trigger that buyback clause? Will he go? Will he stay? 
Of course, we could have, like you said, Simon, so well. We could have caved when Arsenal came in. We could have caved before that. I mean, who knows? He didn't have to sign that contract. I'm sure assurances had to have been made. Uh, the money had to be right and all that kind of circumstances as well. But it, it's it's so nice to see a player that we bought in the first season back in the Premier League under very tough circumstances through that season, which was just tough for every Villa fan mentally to, it was, it was a lot of crap football, let's be honest. Um, and it was a real struggle. And just to see kind of the, the players and the team and this individual just come through all of that. And he's shining for Villa. He's not, Oh, he was half decent for us. We sold him for equal value or five, 10, whatever more million. And now he's brilliant for whatever example club, He's here and he's doing it for us and he clearly wants to be here. And I think that's that's the biggest thing because I, I feel like how many times we've had that one key player in whatever position and they've just went by the wayside essentially because really there's not enough quality or infrastructure or whatever else to really support that. But um, the one thing I did kind of want to ask to you guys, and I mean, we could bring this up in another podcast, but... Before we do wrap things up here very shortly, um, there's no three-word reviews to read out for, well, essentially, listeners, because I was traveling home from a trip. I didn't get to do it, but Seb celebrating. And as I say that, we're going to do three-word reviews for us, so that sucks to be him celebrating in the background. Um, I'll do that in a second, but the first thing I want to know, and Simon, I'll start this with you. If you look at this season, who for you... Um, going into next season, do you think will be the most impactful of the current squad? Oh, that's a tough one. Because um, I think there's a few. There's, there's, there's a few candidates there. I I think I'm going to go Amy Martinez. I think he, um, you know, he's he's one of, if not the best goalkeeper in the world. And assuming that he's still at the club, which I've got no reason to believe that he won't be, I, I don't believe that he'll be going anywhere this summer. I think he's someone who is the ultimate elite winner. He's won a World Cup. So I think for for what we all want to do this season, and I, I don't know if you saw a little clip of his interview on the pitch after the game where he said, we're going for the Champions League next. Like that, that is an elite winner's mentality. So I think, uh, yeah, someone like him, I think is probably going to be the most impactful out of that current squad. Seb, how about you? I'm actually going to completely agree with what Simon said. He was the first name that came to mind because we've been talking about rotation massively and we've been emphasising the importance of it. But I, I I think it's hard to disagree with any big game that we have, he will be playing. So, you know, we will look to him. He's got the experience now of performing at the highest level and winning the highest award that you can win in football. So we will we will be looking into that experience. Again, I'd like to throw another name out there, slightly different one, but um, he won't be making impacts on the pitch, but off the pitch in Unai Emery, I believe that having his experience within European competitions will be absolutely critical for us. He's been there, he's done it. You know, he has the awards to show for it in past. So, you know, there is no one I'd rather have leading us into it than the new nine. There is no one that fills me with more confidence. It, there's a, okay. I can't really say this answer, but if he had one more year left on his deal that we knew about, I would make the argument for Ashley young. He's been there and done that. Maybe he won't play. Well, he obviously won't play every game, 
but just that experience, that know-how to have someone in the squad that's done it and done it at the highest level consistently for as long he's, as he's done it. Um, I guess you can make that argument, but because we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I'd be shocked if they didn't. Look, um, Cole, renew there's, there's two outcomes with Ashley Young this summer. Either he signs a new deal or we're stupid. There's, there's no real other way to put it. Yeah, there's like, well, literally, like, what what else are you really going to do? You, you look at um, who's kind of coming through the system right now. There's no one that can really back up Matty Cash um, to his degree. And I mean, the fact that he's going to be, what, 39? I think it I is mean, ridiculous. Me and, me and Simon were talking about this, and this is the first time that I've ever quoted me and Simon talking in the pub before, and I'm surprised I can even remember it. But Oh, best friend. When, I'm I'm worried about what he's about to say. (laughs) (laughs) If if we're light in any positions and the worst case scenario happens, right back, Ashley Young can cover. Left back, Ashley Young can cover. Right mid, left mid, centre mid, he can do a job. Having, you know, on the pitch, there's no one that can fill more positions. And then off the pitch as well, like you said, he's been there, he's done it. He's won all the big awards. And, you know, you, you can't have... Just young players in the squad. I know it's a bit of a stark contrast, but we saw it with Southampton. They changed their whole squad. They're all really young. They haven't been there. They haven't done it. And look what happens. You've got to be able to find that blend. And I think Ashley Young fits into that category perfectly. 100%. The one I will go with, and some people may not agree because it's been like this since day one, but I would have to say Tyrone Mings. The reason I say for that, even if he's not a starter or even half the season, which I would be shocked going into next season because it seems like every time he doesn't play, we are worse off at the back, and that's been proven since he's been literally at the football club going into the promotion push. But the fact that you know that even if he's not starting, he's not going to sit back and sulk. He's going to be professional. He's the ex-captain. He has that leadership on and off the pitch. He's a great ambassador. Um for me, I just, it, it, he's a true professional and that's what we need, but I feel like he's even more than that. And even if he's the number one, two, three, whatever center back of choice, I just feel like when you sit back and you look at it, he's going to give you his all in whatever role he has to play. And I, I just feel like that's invaluable. You could say Dougie Louise, you could say Bubakar Kamara, John McGinn, the list goes on and on, but for me, it has to be him. I mean, Emmy Martinez would be the obvious one, like you guys said, as well. He, The guy is mental, and I love him as well. Like, Let's be honest. How many just mentally little – I don't know. What's the, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, shit stirrers do we have in this side? And I absolutely love it. Like, Simon, when's the last time we've had this many? You have McGinn that can just drive people nuts. Emmy's nuts as well. It just, I, I just love it. I, I don't think we've ever really had that. I, I think this is one of is one of the things that I've always always felt that we lacked over the years. Like I've, we've always been too nice. I, I think a team to play against, and you know, it's, it's it's a side of football that not everyone likes. But when you've got players on your team who are not only good players, proper shit houses as well, and and know how know how to wind up the opposition. And but but do it and get away with it. Like I, I saw that earlier on today that uh, Amy Buendia made forty three fouls this season and didn't get a single booking, which is the most of any player in any season. Like even that level, like Buendia is is a shit house. He's got that mental Argentinian blood in him. 
that makes him such a fiery player. And but but like, but he is another one that you probably wouldn't necessarily think of as a shells, but he is. He gets in people's faces. He get he gets stuck into things, and you need to have that. Like all all the best teams over the years have that edge to them. You look at the sort of classic Man United teams under Alex Ferguson. They they were great players, but they they had a bunch of bastards in there as well. Even you look at classic Pep uh, Barcelona, you know Busquets and Carlos Puyol were were little bastards in that team. Even Man City, someone like Fernandinho over the years or Rodri, again little bastards. Sergio Aguero, you, you need to have that element, that edge to you to uh, uh to, to really succeed at the top level. So it's it's nice that. That we've we finally got got that in in our squads and yeah the more the merrier. Absolutely, as long as they're not fighting each other, I, I really couldn't care less. And everyone knows what I'm referencing there. But regardless of that, I do want to do some three word reviews on this match. I know we haven't got super into detail on it, but I mean, there's so much to cover. We don't have an incredible amount of time, um, and uh, it's. I mean, I'm still pinching myself really what happened on Sunday. So. Simon, I'll come to you. Three-word review on Sunday, please. Uh, mission accomplished, lads. Fair enough. Seb? Where's the passport? <laughs> I feel where, like we've said that before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Comedian here. Um, I'm going to swear here. I don't know if we've already sworn in this one, so I'm going to have to put the explicit content. Yes, you have. Um, oh, okay. So, oh, there's your passport. Um, content warning on this one, but I'm going to go with Unai fucking Emery. Um, I think that's a very good way to put it. Or you could put, um, oh, what was the other one I had? Um, Unai, my lord, or something like that. I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> uh, regardless of that, um, so- uh, Seb actually, I was almost said Simon. Seb did mention that we do have a Premier League manager of the season winner, that being Mr. Pep Guardiola. Um, that just kind of came out a few minutes ago, actually, as of recording. Um, I don't want to come off as a bitter podcast, guys, but Simon, I'll come to you first. What what, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, Man City are expected to win the league. So, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's done an unbelievable job. And I think if they go on and win the treble, then... You can't necessarily argue with that, but if you're just talking about like the managerial job in the Premier League of a specific club, I don't think Man City finishing first is something that's as impressive as they, you know, the job Emery's done, or the job Deserby's done, or Thomas Frank at Brentford, or Gary O'Neill at Bournemouth. I, I think there have been more impressive managerial uh, performances across a number of Premier League clubs than, than what Pep Guardiola's done at, at Man City. When you, when you, when you can buy Erling Haaland, yeah, you probably should be winning the league. So, yeah, it is it is what it is. Seb, I mean, you're the one that mentioned this, so I can only imagine you don't agree with that nomination, but let us know your thoughts. I actually am not going to say anything about it. I think Simon summed it up really well, so I'm going to leave it there. No. Fair enough. Um, all I can really say is, and really to echo what Simon said, is if you have that much money to spend um, with that squad, you basically have two squads that could easily finish in the top four. Um, all I can say is it's, 
if he wins multiple things this season, it's justified, I guess, but it's almost like you're giving someone an award to assume that they're going to win everything already. That's how I kind of feel about it. It's not even from, oh, Unai Emery should be the manager of the season. It's like Simon said, you, you could go with, to, to be honest, if I was going to go with anybody else, it'd probably be a Deserby, or you could even throw, I, I know Arsenal absolutely cocked it up, but you could say Arteta as well. You could, you could go down the list. Um, it's just, I don't know, it feels like a very lazy nomination without much thought, and they just looked at the top of the table. Um, I, I don't know if they were trying to put a whole kind of story that Man City had to really fight to get back in the title kind of thing. Um when let's be honest, it was Arsenal's to lose and they more than lost it. So um, all in all, it, it is what it is, but um, I don't know if that's the Premier League. Sometimes they lack creativity in justifying some of their decisions, but uh, anyways, we're not bitter. We're in seventh. We're all happy and that's all we can say. So I think we'll leave this edition of the Holtcast at that. Thank you very much to Seb and to Simon for joining me. Of course, you can find Seb on Twitter at SebastianBacon8. You can tweet Simon at Cy O'Regan. Tweet me at TalkAstonVille. You can tweet the team at 7500 to Holt. Email the podcast, Holtcast at gmail.com. And of course, check out the website, triple w dot 7500toholt.com. I'm hoping we should... Around mid next week, I want to say, I don't want to really quote that as a guarantee. We should have the um, end of season review. It'll probably be a little uh, late when compared to a few other podcasts, Villa related podcasts out there. But uh, we have a, a bunch of people on our team, five of us that we need to wrangle all together and get our thoughts. So that'll take some time to, to schedule that in. But uh, I'll, I'll get to all the sappy stuff in the next podcast. But again, I just want to say thank you to everyone that's listened this season, who everyone who's listened um over a number of seasons it's always appreciated um the listenership has continued to grow and grow each and every season this season has been the best um numbers wise um of course that can definitely be attributed to um basically Unai Emery and Villa's brilliance this season and the wild ride and of course there's Europe next season so stay tuned we'll still be here we'll still be making content Uh, There'll be more to cover. There'll be more ups and downs and more, hopefully more ups than downs, I should specify. Um, And yeah, it's just going to be a crazy ride. So why not, uh, you know, leave a positive review, subscribe to us, follow us, whatever. It gives you that option to do on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Um, The journey's just beginning and uh, yeah, can't wait to see where it ends. So like I said, we'll leave it at that. And uh, don't forget uh, the villa. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.